Thanks for being here with us uh, this morning at Outward Church. Uh, we are here uh, just uh, hanging out with you in your home. We are experiencing um, just the, a crazy season right now as we um, are dealing with this uh, COVID-19 crisis. And so we're happy to be coming into your home this morning to be able to uh, speak to you and to talk with you uh, about who Jesus is. We're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 1. We're going to be picking it up in verse 6. I'm going to read that for us, and uh, then we'll get going here. It says in First Peter chapter 1, in verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I find myself when I read this passage thinking that I, uh, I'm not sure that I've really experienced this kind of joy. I'm not sure that I've really experienced the idea of like suffering being a joyful experience. I've had uh, horrible experiences with this, in fact. As a young man, uh, I remember there was a time in my life when I made a decision uh, as an adult to follow Jesus, to give my life to him, to uh, begin walking with him in a new way. It was a monumental decision. There was so much that had gone into that. Prior to this, I, had, uh, I, just, I wasn't sure what I believed. I wasn't sure where I was going. I wasn't sure what I was doing. But what happened was this, is that I, I made this decision, and then immediately after that, my parents got divorced. My longtime girlfriend at the time uh, broke up with me and completely broke my heart. And, uh, you know, and then my dog ran away, my pickup broke down, my radio stopped working, all of that type of stuff. is a bad country song. But it, there was this sense in my life, there was a sense in my heart that, I, God, I gave you my life. I did something for you. Why can't you do this for me? Why, why does my life have to turn into upheaval during this? Why am I dealing with grief? I was devastated and thought, God, how could you do this to me? How could you allow this to happen in my life? I thought that when I began to follow you, that everything would be smooth sailing, that life would be better when I've gotten this figured out. And maybe you find yourself in a similar place. Maybe you've been somebody who uh, at one point was in the church. Maybe you were a part of the church. And the thing that you saw in uh, Christianity and in the church was a, a lack of authenticity. You saw people who uh, uh, said one thing and did another. You saw hypocrisy, or someone mistreated you, or somehow you, uh, you were cast aside, and you were mistreated, and at the end of that, you're devastated, and you think to yourself, God, how could you do this? How could you allow this to take place? And even now, here we are in the midst of this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, crisis, and many of us, I think, are in this place of just kind of going, 
maybe you're asking the question, God, how could you? God, if you exist, how could you allow this to take place? <coughs> how could you allow these things to happen in our life right here and right now? Well, last week what we talked about was this, was that we need a theology of suffering. We need to be able to understand what needs to take place so that we can have this joy that it is talking about. And many of us, that maybe you're watching this morning and you do not have that joy. You do not have that ability to think in your life and say, like, there, there's no joy in suffering. There's, there's no way that I could uh, feel that way. But I just want to tell you this morning that I can tell you about a way that allows you to go through the furnace of life. To go through the furnace uh, that is life and everything that that means. And to see yourself actually flourish to see yourself flourish in the midst of suffering and pain. And so we get into it here. We talked about verse six last week, which says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. There's three things that I wanna tell you this morning, and that is that suffering is painful. Number two, it's meaningful. And number three, it is purposeful. Number one, suffering is painful. Number two, it's meaningful. Number three, it is per, uh, purposeful. So what, what's this idea of, of painful? What do I mean by painful? Well, first of all, suffering is real. It is very real. When I was growing up in the church, there were all kinds of songs that I would, I would say are relatively foolish, or they at least don't give the whole story. I remember singing this, this song that says, and now I'm happy all the day. I'm, I'm happy all of the time. And when I think about that, that, that song and I think about my life, I think I am not happy all the time. I am not happy with the things that have taken place. I don't have this happiness in, in some way. I remember as a little kid singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Woo, or where, down in my heart. You know, that, that whole song. And yet I think to myself, you know, like, I don't know that I have this joy. I don't know that I, that, I, that I have this. And so there's this sense in which Christians don't really even acknowledge real pain. They don't acknowledge the fact that we still are grieved by these various trials. But this passage here is really showing us that, that Christians are actually people who are literally grieved by various trials. They're grieved by heartbreak. They're grieved by the state of our world. They're grieved by those who have passed away as a result of the virus. They're grieved by the people that have lost their jobs. And maybe they've lost their jobs and maybe they've lost a loved one. And there is grief. And it is real grief. Christians are people who actually acknowledge the pain in their life. And they even question God sometimes. Jeremiah in chapter 20, verse 7 says, Oh Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You're stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughing stock all day. Everyone mocks me. That's a guy who's a prophet, and he's saying, I'm grieved because, God, I feel like you've been unfair in this. I feel like you've been unfair. See, suffering is painful. Christianity acknowledges that suffering is real pain. It is real. It is, it is 
It is something that we experience. It's something that we acknowledge. And that's really the way that we ended last week, which is where Jesus says in Matthew 26 that he says, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Jesus acknowledges his own pain, his own sorrow, his depression, his anxiety, his fears. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning as you think about what's coming. We don't know exactly what's coming. We don't know how hard this, uh, this COVID-19 is going to hit our community. We know that it's ramping up. But I just want to help you understand something, that as a Christian this morning, that you don't have to act like it didn't happen. You don't have to act like somehow you're happy when you're not really happy about this stuff, but you can acknowledge pain. See, suffering is painful. And then number two is this. Suffering is meaningful. Suffering actually has meaning. Sometimes we don't acknowledge that. It says... If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and so on. That, that suffering is, is, is meaningful, like there is actually meaning in there. You and I know inherently that suffering does have meaning. That suffering does have some, some type of meaning in our life. That there's meaning behind these things, and yet so many times we try to deny that suffering does have meaning. In fact, Tim Keller's book, um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, has a, a couple of great quotes. He says, Christianity teaches that in contrast to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming, which is acknowledging that it's painful and that, that it's overwhelming me. It says, in contrast to Buddhism, it says that suffering is real. Like, it, it really happens. It's there. It's not just an illusion. In contrast to karma, that suffering is often unfair for those of us that believe in karma. Some of us are Christians, and we actually still believe in karma. But this idea that we, we only get what we put out, you know, we, you know I'm, I'm experiencing pain right now because of the things that I've done, that's, that's, that's karma. But the truth is that you can be a perfectly good person and yet still experience pain. You can be somebody who is experiencing unfair suffering. And in contrast to secularism, suffering is meaningful. Christianity, in contrast to all of these other ways of life, says that it is meaningful, that it is overwhelming, that it's real, and that it's oftentimes unfair. See, Christianity has this idea within it that there is actually meaning behind it. But oftentimes, we have bought into the lie that it is meaningless. In fact, Richard Dawkins says this in his book, uh, Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life. He writes, uh, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason for it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. And Tim Keller goes on and and quotes this again. He says, Darwin goes on to say, the truly adult view, to diminish all other views, 
the truly adult view is that our life is as meaningful, as full, and wonderful as we choose to make it. In other words, says Keller, you must create your own meaning. You decide the kind of life that you find most valuable and worth living, and then you must seek to create that kind of life. See, secularism, or this idea from Richard Dawkins, basically says this. It says that life has no meaning. The pain in it has no meaning. All you can do is just try to avoid suffering. All you can do is try to uh, look at life and say, I, uh, I, it, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. And I'm just going to try to avoid those things in my life. But Christianity, in contrast to that, says that it's real, that it's meaningful, that there is some kind of value in that. And you and I both know that there is value in our suffering. We say things like, no pain, no gain. We understand the idea that our personal growth comes from experiencing pain, comes from getting fired after you're late to a couple of jobs. <clears throat> Excuse me. It comes from your marriage falling apart. <clears throat> it comes uh, because of the way that you treated your spouse. That's suffering. We know, we learn things about ourselves. And we inherently know that there is meaning. And yet sometimes we live as though there isn't meaning in there. We live as though there isn't value, that there isn't anything in there. See, Christianity acknowledges that there is meaning in our pain. And we inherently know that. So that's number two. That suffering is meaningful. Number three, that suffering is purposeful. That there is a purpose behind the suffering that we experience. That there is a real cosmic purpose behind what's going on. In fact, Acts chapter, uh, if I can find that, Acts chapter 17, yeah. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 28 says this. It's talking about God, and it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that God has created all things, and he has determined all things, that God is ultimately and finally sovereign. He's in control. He rules over this world, whether you or I like it or not, that those things are completely in his control. And it says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That we would actually uh, seek after God and perhaps uh, feel our way towards him. That God has created this universe and he has created this world and us as people so that we would seek after him. And you might say, I totally disagree with that ideology. But the fact is, is that you're not God and I'm not God. And this is what God says, is that he has created all things for the purpose of us reaching out to him. So there is a purpose behind our suffering, and I would argue this. Our suffering is meant to lead us toward him. It says again, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. If necessary. We talked about last week. That's almost offensive. Like if necessary, like if necessary, like I have bad things happen in my life. If necessary, things happen in our world. 
if necessary, we experience these things? Is God some kind of sadistic creature that just wants to punish people? No, I believe this. That God's greatest gift to you is that he would lead you to himself. Through this, he says in verse 7, so that, a purpose statement. Like these things have come about. You've experienced suffering. You've experienced difficulty so that the tested genuineness of your faith, so that the authenticity of your faith. Now just stop right there for a second. Like you have experienced suffering so that you can feel your way towards God. And then when somebody comes to know who Jesus Christ is and therefore begins a relationship with God himself, what this is saying here is that, is that suffering comes to us, pain, grief, trials come to us for the express purpose of authenticating our faith. That these things come to us and they authenticate what we believe, what we say we believe, so that our, our life and our lips begin to match. So that when we say something about God, that it is real and that it's tangible. And that we don't walk through this world thinking like, oh, I'm so happy, everything's fine, I've got the joy, joy, joy. But that we walk through this life understanding the pain and seeing our faith having been tested and authenticated. See, some of us that are watching this morning have seen people with an inauthentic faith, with an unauthenticated faith. They've experienced people who call themselves Christians, and they could name story after story after story as to what frustrates them about these people because they've experienced these things. But I would argue... A couple things. One, and that is that their faith may not have ever been authenticated in that sense. They may not even be Christians, even though they claim to be Christians. Because the reality is, is that they have not walked through the suffering. They have not, whatever it is, they haven't experienced it. And you see the inauthenticity of their life. See, God allows us to go through difficult things so that our faith may be authenticated. And then it says this, so that, uh, so that the ge tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. He makes a comparison here. He says, the faith, you, the, your faith is more precious than gold. And gold, when it goes through the furnace... When a jeweler takes that gold and it puts, and this jeweler puts the, the gold into this furnace, what happens is this, is that that gold goes in as a lump. And it seems like it's okay just like that. But it goes in there and what happens is this, is that the furnace begins to heat this thing. The furnace begins to heat this nugget or this, this gold. And what takes place is this, is that the dross or whatever it is comes up to the surface. The impurities begin to burn off. They, when it goes through this furnace, something begins to happen that it begins to become purified. See, the same thing happens with us, and that is that we go through the furnace of life. 
we go through the furnace of life and there is, there is something that begins to happen. Early in my Christian life, as I said, like all of these things happened to me. And, and it wasn't just the, you know, my family of origin uh, breaking down or the girlfriend that broke up with me or that, but it was like the whole of life that I thought that I was supposed to have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. But in reality, I didn't experience that, that I wasn't experiencing that joy at that time. And so what I said to God at that, at that moment is, I'm gone, come get me if you want me. I'm out of here because I doubt your existence. I doubt who you are because of this, because you've allowed terrible things to happen in my life. But the truth is, is that I was in God's furnace. I was in the furnace of life. And I experienced difficulty and I experienced pain and what was happening. I pushed it away and I said, if you're gonna do that to me, then I'm gonna go do something else. But what God was trying to communicate to me is, Matt, do you trust me when everything else is taken away? Do you trust me? And you know what's so difficult about that? You know what's so hard about that? Is that I had all of these impurities, all of these, all of these different attitudes in my life, the way that I treated people, how confident I was in myself. I had all of these impurities in my life. And what I did was I walked away from the furnace and I said, you know what, God? <clears throat> you know what? If, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm going to walk away. But God was giving me an opportunity to be purified in some sense at that point in my life. Not that I'm pure today to be purified of a self-confidence. See, what, what makes us so fearful, what makes us have so much anxiety, what makes, makes us uh, feel like life is out of control is because as we grow up in life, we come to a point where we have self-confidence. And this self-confidence comes from the idea that I am able to bring myself to a place of comfort. This self-confidence comes from the ability to make money, <clears throat> to keep relationship, to establish a life, to, to make something of myself. That was really my issue. I just want to make something of myself. Said it over and over again in my head. I just want to be somebody. I, I want to become something, someone that is noteworthy. I had amazing self-confidence on some level, and yet I was so insecure. But God had put me through the furnace to allow me to come to a place where my self-confidence is dashed on the rocks, where I come to a place where I say, my life is not in my hands, that, that I might feel my way towards God, that I might find a way to actually seek after him and say, I, have everything that I thought that I held dear to me has been taken away. And you don't know what will happen. Maybe you've already experienced this. But maybe you're sitting in the lap of luxury today. Maybe you've experienced financial success and most of us in America have experienced that. Maybe you're, you've been in a place of relative self-confidence where you say, I've, I've made it, I've made something of myself. The economy's booming, things are going great. I've got a family. 
and you don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this, that if suffering really comes, that I think most of us are not prepared for the furnace that God has laid before us and is allowing us to go through at this time. God comes for our self-confidence. And he desires that the furnace of life would consume all of our self-confidence, our self-reliance, our dependence on ourselves. But think of how antithetical this is to our world today. Think how absolutely antithetical it is to think that that we should get rid of some type of self-confidence. That we should do away with that. Because really our entire life, our entire world is about doing away with suffering. In fact, we often believe that it's through the removal of suffering that we flourish. However, on the other hand, Christianity believes that it is through the application of suffering that we can experience the greatest joy possible. It's actually through the application of suffering that we can experience the greatest joy possible because the thing that stands between you and your relationship with God, the thing that stands in between you and ever beginning a relationship with God begins with this. It begins with a self-confidence, a drivenness that says, I can do this. I can make it happen. And so as you experience life, and as you look back on all of the ways that you have suffered and experienced these things, what you must see, what you must understand, is that God is ultimately and completely and finally in control. All of this is for the express purpose of you and I understanding that through our suffering, comes joy, that through our suffering comes the greatest joy possible. It says here in the last part of verse 7, it says that your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, That what would take place is this, is that You get tested by fire. You are melted. You are turned into molten metal. What what happens is this, is that the self-confidence, the self-reliance, the idea that I can make my own life, that I control my health, that I'm able to do all these things, that that is burned off and you are finally left with none of your self-confidence. So you're left with a lack of reliance on self. But God says this, that that is the purification of your faith. That is the purification of who you are. And what it leads to is this, is a true praise, glory, and honor at the revelation or at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now you might think that that sounds weird. And it may be in some respects, but in other respects it isn't. Anytime you watch an award show, 
The red carpet is filled with praise and glory and honor at the appearing of whoever that actress is and whoever that actor is. Every sports uh, game that you go to, (laughs) uh, as the players are coming out on the field or as they're coming out on the court and their names are announced, there is praise and there is glory and there is honor at the appearing of your player, of your team, of your people. See, our world is completely built to shower praise and glory and honor on everyone else and even seek after it ourselves, for ourselves. But what this says is this, is that the greatest joy that you could possibly have is looking forward to the appearing of the one who is truly praiseworthy, of the one who deserves all of our glory. He deserves our our glorification of him, that we would lift him up, that we would see him as bright and shining, that we would honor him at his appearing. It's looking forward to seeing Jesus again. So I just, I just want to speak to you right now that I don't know where you're at in this moment. I don't know where you'll be during this week or the next couple of weeks. But you may be sitting on a hospital bed. Or you may have a loved one that's sitting on a hospital bed. And if that were to happen to you or if, 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 if anything like that is taking place or if you've lost your job and you feel destitute, by the way, would you please email us? You can go to outwardchurch.com forward slash prayer or prayers. I can't remember if it's plural or not, but would you fill that out. Tell us about that. Write it in the comments right now, but we want to pray for you. But I'm telling you that in the days to come, whether it's through COVID-19 or not, you may be sitting in a moment where you're just saying, how could this happen? And I just want to communicate to you and what, what Peter, the Apostle Peter, what God is trying to communicate to us is that this life is a furnace and there are no guarantees that you're not going to suffer. In fact, you have every guarantee that you are going to suffer. But you have the opportunity to look at it as though it's meaningless, like there's no purpose in it, there's no reason for this, or you can look at it and you can say this, that this is for me to look forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so you may be on your deathbed and you can look forward to bringing praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. The pain is real. But what it means is this, is that the joy can overwhelm the pain. That the joy of looking forward to Jesus Christ gets to overwhelm what's actually happening in your life in this moment. It doesn't mean that you're just joyful and happy clappy. But what it means is this, is that you get to have a joy that no one can take away. In fact, it says this in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. There's a sense in which it's saying, like, uh, like, you haven't seen this Jesus, but there's this deep love for him that's, that's moving throughout your soul. You haven't, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like, this is the promise that God is giving to you this morning, that as you see your suffering, as you see your grief, as you see your pain, 
You don't have to set it aside. You don't have to act like it's not there. You don't have to think like, oh, this is unfair. You can say that God has allowed this to take place so that I can look forward to him, so that my love for him is deepened, so that I desire him more, and so that there is a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory that no one and no circumstance can take away. You may not be smiling. You may be coughing. But there is a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. And it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, God uses our pain to speak to us. God uses discomfort to wake us up. In fact, C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain, he says, we can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you feel like life is out of control? talk to so many people that just feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to feel. I, I've, I've felt that way. Went to Costco the other day. There's a guy walking around in a gas mask. If that was you, way to go. Uh, you're very safe. But it feels apocalyptic. It feels disconcerting. The, the, we don't know what's going to happen financially. It's great that the stimulus package was approved and is on its way, but we don't know the uncertainty of that. The pain that it's already brought to our life, this disease. You don't know what's going to take place God is shouting to you and me through our pain, through our anxiety. God is shouting to us and he is saying, you are not in control. Turn away from your self-confidence. Turn away from the idea that you are ultimately and finally in control of your life and reach out for him. Feel your way towards him because he is offering something to you he is offering to you this morning something that is incredible. It's inexpressible. He's offering true sympathy. He's offering true sympathy that can speak to what you're dealing with this morning. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Do you see what that says? That says this, that Jesus has done more than just walk a mile in our shoes. That Jesus has, he has taken on our griefs. 
He's carried our sorrows. He's experienced everything that you have and more. Jesus has experienced more pain on the cross than you are experiencing today or will experience. Jesus has walked all through it. He carried our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. See, Jesus didn't just go through suffering because he walked through the furnace of life, which he did, but he walked through suffering for you. See, Jesus is the only God who suffers for his people. As far as I know, there's, there's no other God, there's no, no other re religion that speaks to a God that suffers for you. That, doesn't, uh, that, that speaks to the idea of, uh, of pain being real. Like this God knows that pain is real, but he suffers not just with you, but he suffers for you. This God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, he went to the cross. And he went to the cross, and before he goes, he's experiencing sorrow. He's experiencing a heaviness of heart. He is experiencing every bit of pain, anxiety, fear, frustration through what he went through. And he does this for you and for me. And this morning, you have the opportunity to not just say that pain is real and not just say that pain is meaningful, but that there is an ultimate and final purpose for it. And that is that it would lead you to Jesus Christ this morning, right here and right now. That it would lead you to do this. To understand that Jesus went to the cross for you. What did he go to the cross uh, for you for? It is for our sin. It is for all of the ways that we've taken credit for what God has done in our life. That nice house that you sit in right now was loaned to you by God through the gifts that he gave you through the circumstances that allowed you to make those finances. The, the air that you breathe has come from God as a gift to you. The life that you have, the family that you have, the circumstances of your life are a gift from God. And yet, what we do is we just avoid the idea that God has given those things to us. You might, you might feel guilty for, for having money. And yet God is speaking to you this morning and he's saying, it's not enough that you just feel guilty. You must understand that you have fully sinned against me. To walk with Jesus, to begin relationship with Jesus means this, that there must come repentance in your life. It's an acknowledgement that I am somebody who is a sinner, that I have walked away from God, that I've tried to do, deny his existence, that I've tried to believe that I'm in control of my life, and I've tried to make these things happen. But then secondly, it's about faith. It's about this faith that is of greater worth than gold. This faith is more than just saying, okay, I believe that Jesus exists. It's a faith that says, not only do I believe that Jesus exists, but my faith is in this idea that I have sinned against him and that he has every ability to save me from my sin. He has every ability to save me from my sin and he can allow me to go through suffering, that he can allow me to go through these things and yet there's an incredible purpose behind it. 
And so Jesus is extending to you right now through this live feed this morning. He's extending grace to you. And he offers it to anyone who wants to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you to that this morning and I pray that you would let us know. You can email me, matt.outwardchurch.com. But I invite you to that. And for our Christians here this morning, I just want to challenge you. How are you dealing with the anxiety and the pressure and the grief? This is a furnace. And what's going to come out of it is self-reliance. It's going to be scraped off the top. It's going to be burnt up. Let's look forward to the purification of our lives. Let's look forward to what Jesus is going to do in our city and in our world. There's never been a greater opportunity to be able to speak to our world today than now. You have access to an inexpressible and incredible joy that God has for you in Jesus Christ. Won't you put your hope in that this morning? Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth of, of your scripture. And Lord, I pray uh, this morning for those that are, that are listening in, Lord, that they would um, give their lives to you if they have not already. Lord, uh, for those that have uh, began a relationship with you, that they would submit themselves to you. Lord, that they would begin to say, uh, you know, maybe I haven't experienced suffering. Maybe I've had a bad theology of what that even looks like. Lord, may, may they begin to trust you. May they have an, an incredible theology of what it means uh, to deal with suffering in everyday life so that they can possess this incredible joy that you have for us. We ask this in your name we pray. Amen. And this morning, I uh, just want to participate in communion once again with you. Um, we do this every, every Sunday on Sunday morning. I've read some articles recently from people that have said that it's, it's not